Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to the 19th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Today I have an interview with Stephen Jones, who has edited... 100 Anthologies and Compilations of Horror Literature. Jones's latest anthology is The Dead That Walk, by U- published by Ulysses Press and available in bookstores now. The Dead That Walk is a zombie fiction anthology featuring short stories from many noted horror authors including Clive Barker, Ramsey Campbell, Stephen King, Harlan Ellison, Joe Lansdale, and many others. Stay tuned for my interview with Stephen Jones. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Jones, a prolific editor of numerous fiction anthologies, primarily focused on the horror genre. Recent anthologies that Jones has edited include the Mammoth Book of Best New Horror 20, the Mammoth Book of... Wolfmen, and of special note for this interview, a new anthology of zombie fiction, The Dead That Walk, available in bookstores and online from Ulysses Press. The Dead That Walk includes many classic and brand new zombie stories from a lineup of well-recognized horror authors, including Stephen King, Richard Matheson, Clive Barker, Harlan Ellison, and many others. Stephen, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. So thank you for having me on, Jeff. Sure, sure. Well, I'm curious. As I mentioned, you've been a prolific editor and anthologist. How many books have you edited? Do you have a hard count at this point? I do. Um, In fact, interestingly, Best New Horror 20, which came out in October this year, was my 100th book. Um, That's not the 100th book I've contributed to, but it's actually the 100th book with my name on it. Uh, If you add up all the, uh, the foreign editions and and whatever, there's plenty more. Uh, but I'm quite proud. It's, it's quite a milestone for me, and I've done it in basically 21 years. So uh, um, it's going to be a little bit proud of, I think. That's great. That's great. So when you started 21 years ago, did you know it would be 100 books at this point? Uh, I didn't even know it would be one book at that point. Um, I was, it was 1987 when I, uh, when I got my first commission for a professional book. And at the time, I was working on the Hellraiser movie with Clive Barker, and I never really saw myself being a professional editor-writer, but somehow my, my career slipped into that. At that time, I was directing TV commercials here in England and uh, working on movies as a publicist, and my life was totally different. And probably from 1988, 89 onwards, I became a full-time writer and that's what I've done ever since and the opportunity to do what I've always wanted to do which was work in the horror field and work with some of those names you mentioned earlier in the very nice introduction um, has been a dream come true um, and here I am now in my mid-50s my, my, my mid 
and um, I'm just having a ball. You know, every time I do one of these books, it's it's just a whole new exciting experience for me. And I, I get to work with these older writers and, and friends like Clark or Ramsey Campbell. And I also get to work with a lot of the new writers, the people who are coming up in the field, um, some of whom I included in The Desert Walk. That's great. That's great. Well, what was that first book um, 21 years ago? The first book which I was commissioned for was a, a book called Horror, the 100 Best Books, which I co-edited with Kim Newman. And it was a reference book. Um, basically, it wanted to be a guide to the 100 best books in the horror field. And Kim Newman and I decided that rather than just pick our own favorite 100 books, what we would do was is we would go to 100 writers and editors that we respected and ask them to write a little piece about their 100 books or their favorite book, which I did to And so this had never been tried before. Nobody had ever done it before. And it obviously took a lot of organization. Um, but we managed it. We did it was very successful. It's, it's still in print, in fact, uh, after all those years in, in different editions. And in fact, we did a sequel a few years ago, uh, which was another 100 best books by another 100 writers and editors and actors in the field. <laughs> um, and I'm very proud of the book because it's still in print. It's still used as a, a touchstone for people coming into the genre to, to find out what they should be reading or who they should be reading. Um, and it, it's a great reference source. So that's the kind of thing I love to do is, is, is do stuff that's out there forever and people find it, you know, whatever age they are. Um, it was very much aimed at people maybe who were going to their school library who were 14 or 15 years old and wanted to find out what else there was out there to read. And I, I hope it's worked for a lot of people. That's great. That's great. Well, let's talk about zombies and zombie fiction for a minute. Obviously, obviously <laughs> you have George Romero's iconic zombie movies. But how do you explain the worldwide explosion of the popularity of zombies and zombie fiction? I wonder, what is it about zombies that capture people's imagination? Um, I'm, I'm a great believer that all these things are cyclical. I think, you know, we have these little genres go round and round and round. Um, every eight to ten years, you know, vampires are back in, in, in favor again or werewolves are back in favor again. Um, and it's just time for the zombies to come back in favor again. Um, you refer to you know, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which was made in 1969, and there was a whole string of zombie movies out around about that time and into the early 70s. And then my first zombie book was The Mammoth Book of Zombies, which I did back in 1994, when we had another one of these, these, these big cycles go around and people were into zombies. And I think at this point, it was just their time again to come round. I mean, the lovely thing about working in this field is you, you get to work with things like, you know, the Frankenstein monster or Dracula or vampires or werewolves or zombies. And these are all iconic figures of horror. And they're always being reinvented for a new generation. We've seen that with Twilight. We've seen it with the Harry Potter books in some ways. Um, you know, there's always going to be a new generation coming up who are going to rediscover these kind of monsters for the first time. And one of the great things about doing a book like this, and again, as you mentioned in your introduction, is that some of the stories are reprints and hopefully unfamiliar to the people just discovering zombies for the first time. And some of the stories are brand new for those people who read you know, uh, voraciously in the horror field. So you try and find a good balance. Um, I think it's just, you know, with Shaun of the Dead coming out a few years mm -hmm. ago and the remakes of the, of the various um, George Romero movies, and all the gaming times that have been coming out, the Resident Evil movies and whatever. It was just time for the zombie to come back into popularity again. And it will last probably for another year or so, and then you know another monster will come up, and, uh, and there'll be another monster in the forefront, uh, 
we're seeing the release of this Wolfman movie next year, and I'm sure werewolves may well be the next big thing for 2011 or 2012. Sure, sure. That's interesting. So for many years now, you've been putting together annual anthologies of horror stories, and you've read thousands of horror stories by now. Can, can you articulate or do you have a sense of how horror fiction may have changed from, say, today compared to 20 years ago? Do you see any broad trends there? Um, well, the, the the biggest broad trend, as, as with everything, I'm afraid to say, is I see a dumbing down. Um, certainly, back when I was editing horror fiction in the 1980s, um, a lot of it was much more incisive. It was much more political, and I mean, I, I mean that with a capital P. Um, uh, one of the things I love about horror fiction is it has this ability to work in any other genre which means you can have a science fiction story that's actually a horror story. You can have a Western story that's a horror story. You can have a romance story that's a horror story. And it's one of the few genres that actually works in all the other genres as well. And it allows people writing horror fiction to explore so many different themes and ideas and concepts, which, you know, it doesn't just hold us back. It's, it's not, the, it's not the, the gutter genre a lot of people think it is. When it's done well and when it's done properly, it can address all sorts of things. It can address... Um, I know bigotry, um, uh, race, creed, um, you know, prejudice, all these kind of things. And, and a good horror story not only scares the reader or thrills the reader, but can also lead the reader into other areas of thinking. Um, and so, one of the things I think back in the in the eighties and possibly into the early nineties was I saw a lot more of, of that kind of fiction where people were tr were playing with the tropes of horror to try and make it something more than just a story that scares you. And I think since we've gone through the 1990s and the, and the me, me, me generation, I see a lot more stories now which are just about zombies eating brains or you know, wanting to be a vampire or whatever. And it seems to me that a lot of the newer writers who have coming up have lost that ability to think, what, to think outside the box in many ways, to say, well... You know, what can I do with a vampire story that makes it different from all the other thousands of vampire stories that are out there? And so when you do find a story that you like and you want to use in a book, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling for an editor. Because obviously what we're looking for is, is our good stories and new talent and, and bringing up people through the field. And so, you know, when you read all these hundreds and hundreds of stories, and I, get, I, I see tens of thousands of stories, trust me, um, every time you find somebody, you think, wow, that's actually pretty cool. That's, that's somebody I've, I've never heard of before, or that's an idea uh, that I've never seen done in a story before. That's the most wonderful feeling in the world. And you still get it. It's still out there. I, I think the problem these days is so many people think they can and are writers because of the Internet, because of blogs, because of things like mm -hmm. that. They don't go through that same process that maybe writers did 10, 15, 20 years ago. So there's no longer that filtering process in, in the way of publishers and editors, um, things like that. Nowadays, anybody can, can write a story and put it up on their blog tomorrow or publish their own book or, as, as a print-on-demand. Um, so what's happening is people aren't going back and reading the old stories and realizing that maybe some of these ideas were done before. They're just going out, writing down the first thing they, they think about and, and, and technically publishing it. Um, so that's made it much harder from my, my end of things. But there's still people out there who are doing wonderful, wonderful things today. And I'm still constantly surprised at how people can come up with a new kind of story. I mean, there's a that wonderful story in The Dead That Walk, um, about, um, Richard Nixon as a zombie. 
And I'd never seen that before. And I just thought it was the most fabulous thing, and it just made me laugh, and it's a scary story at the same time. And I love it when people play around with ideas and do something different. And what was the name of that story? Oh, that story is... Uh, um, well, let me have a look it up. It's... Um, it's uh, it's by uh, a writer called Stephen Woodworth, and it's the Silent Majority. Great, so um, and it's a great it's a great little funny story, and it works really really well. And it's doing something different with the zombie theme, and, I, and that's what I loved about it. Well, well, that your your conversation there and your answer to that question actually leads directly into the next question that I had, which is given that you do read so much, especially of short form of horror uh, fiction, I wonder if if there are any new writers that you've discovered in the last year or two years that maybe people haven't been paying a, enough attention to, or that you think maybe someone to seriously watch in the future. Oh, I'm always doing that. I mean, the last couple of, one of the, one of the newer writers I, I, I helped discover a few years ago was Joe Hill, who turned out to be Stephen King's. Star. Sure. But at the time I bought his, I bought his first story for best new horror. I had no idea who he was. He was just somebody who contacted me out of the blue and sent me a story which I loved and which I published, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, what you're always trying to do as an editor is you, you try to find a mix of, of new and established names. So obviously we use names like Clive Barker or Richard Matheson or Stephen King or Harlan Ellison to sell a book like you know The Dead That Walk, but then what you try to do is find writers that maybe people are, are less aware of. Um, I think Mark Samuels, who's, who's got a story in the book called The Last Resort, He's somebody who's come up in the last few years through the English ranks, um, very well known for writing ghost stories and Arthur Macken type um, and M.R. James type stories, mm -hmm. who really steps up in the book and, and does a wonderful, wonderful job with his story. Um, I think uh, there's a guy in the book with a story, which I think is the most disturbing story in the book, called uh, a guy called Robert Shearman. Now, he's actually a scriptwriter and a theatre writer. And he did the very first Dalek episode in the new Doctor Who series a few years ago when the Daleks came back. And he's now turned to writing short fiction, and he writes some of the, some of the, the sharpest, most disturbing short horror fiction I've ever read. And it was an absolute delight to get a brand new story from him from him for the book. And what, what was that? What say, was the, when you read it? It's, what was the name of that story again? Granny's Grinning. Granny's Grinning. Okay, gotcha. You broke up there for a second. Um, yeah, Granny's grinning, and it's it's just it's just mean and nasty and horrible, and yet hysterically funny at the same time. Um, so you know, it's great to have him in the book. And then you know, there's people I work with all the time. There's there's, there's people like uh, Christopher Fowler and Michael Marshall Smith, and you know uh, Kim Newman and, and Scott Edelman. These are guys who who've been around for a few years now and are still honing their craft and still doing you know great fiction, great stories. And it's always a delight to get a story by them. And then, of course, you have you, know, you have the masters. I mean, how, how can you go wrong with a book with Stephen King and Clive Barker and Richard Matheson and these guys in there? It's just it's just wonderful to do these books. And I hope you know by giving or, uh, giving the readers a selection of stories like that, they might find a few things that they're not aware of before, and they might discover some names they want to they want to find in, in other books, other people's anthologies, or look out for collections or novels. So it's a way of moving the genre forward all the time. You're, you're always trying to find new ways to get people to read. And that's obviously the most difficult thing at the moment. Sure. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. After so many anthologies, are there still any dream projects or anthologies that you would like to work on that you have in mind? There's always dream books. I mean, there's always projects that you you would like to do. And of course, what, what drives any kind of publishing these days is the commercial side of it. So um, there's always things you want to try and do that maybe aren't seen by the mass market publishers as being particularly commercial. Um, I've been working on a book about Mexican monster movies for five or six years as a project I would love to do as a coffee table book at some point. Um, illustrated throughout with posters and lobby cards and things like that because it just fascinates me, you know, that there's this whole different um, uh, film industry that went on in, in, in Mexico in the 1950s, 60s and 70s, which kind of ran in parallel with the American and the British films that were being made at that time, but had absolutely their own different feel to the way they were done, their own heroes like masked wrestlers and, and outlandish monsters. And to me, it would be a lovely, lovely book to do and a lovely visual book to do because I love you know, putting books together like mm -hmm. that. Um, I've done a couple of movie books, yeah, the Coraline time book and the Stardust time books for the Neil Gaiman movies. Um, and you can have great fun with doing those kind of books. So that's a book I would love to do. I would love to do the definitive book on the Universal Monster movies of the 1930s and 40s. I, I, I still don't think that book has been done properly. Um, you know, there's, there's always new ideas. There's always new things coming up. And you think, oh, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd love to do a book about such and such. Um, uh, you know, and unfortunately, often you get publishers come to you and say, well, can we have another book of vampires? <laughs> can we have another book of you know, whatever? And so, and so the key to doing any of these anthologies is, well, how can I make that different from what I've done before? What can I do to make that book different? Um, it, will it set me a challenge? Will it set my writers a challenge? And so before I take on any project these days, I always look at it and think, well, what is it that makes that project worth doing? Why should that book even exist? Because, you know, there are thousands of books on the bookshelves now. You have to go into any Barnes & Noble or any airport bookstore, and you're just swamped with titles and, and images and whatever. And so you've got, to, you've got to decide why you want to do a book in the first place. Why would anybody want to read a book in the first place? And if you can come up with a, a good rationale in your own mind and, and convince the publisher that there's a reason to do that book, then you hope you've got a good book out of it. I mean, I have to say, I had to think twice before doing another book of zombie stories, having already done that. Sure. Um, but we talked, you know, I talked to the publishers, and we came up with some ideas, and we threw some things around. And I'm very proud of the book, and I think it's very different from the other zombie book I did. So in that respect, I think it, you know, it was a worthwhile project to undertake at the end of the day. But so often I, I think to myself, well, why would you even want that? Why, well, who would buy that project? Um, you know, so I think you have, to, you have to look at it very carefully, not just in a commercial way, but in a creative way as well. 
and say, well, yeah, you know, anybody can put together a bunch of stories and, and call it an anthology, but there's got to be a reason for that book to exist in the first place. Otherwise, it's pointless. It's just taking up shelf space. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm curious, as someone who is out there in the trenches, so to speak, reading a massive amount of short fiction every year, is there any advice that you would give someone who wants to write horror fiction, things that they should possibly avoid or things that they maybe consider doing more of? Well, I mean, I get asked this a lot on panels at conventions, and, and, and basically I have, I have a very stock answer, and it's really basically... Um, Anybody can write okay. Anybody can come up with a good idea for a story. It's when you put those two things together, you have a real piece of fiction. Um, I, 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 I often see, you know, oh, that was a quite a good idea, but it's appallingly written. Or I see something that's beautifully written and there's no reason for it to exist. There's no point to the story. It's just an anecdote. It's just a something, somebody writing down like an essay. And when you get a really good writer and a really good story, you, you see those two things come together. You see the, the beautiful writing, the use of prose, the, the way of descriptions and character and plotting, which is what you want from a story. And you see an idea or a concept that hasn't been done before or a variation on something that's done before. And that's what I see up and take notice. Way too often I see one or the other but never those two things coming together. And, of course, I see a lot of stuff where, you know, you don't even get the good writing or the good plotting. <laughs> the other thing I always recommend to new writers is go away and read in the field you're working in. So often I get stories sent to me and covering letters say, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've come up with an idea that, you know, has never been done before, and I think you'll find it amazing and you'll want to use it in your book. I go, well, yeah, I read, you know, Fritz Leiber or Richard Matheson or Ray Bradbury did this 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is an old idea. Sure. Um, and, you know, unless you do read widely in your chosen field, whether it be horror or science fiction or fantasy or whatever, you're not going to know that. You're not going to know who the masters are. You're not going to know what to stay away from. I mean, you know, pretty much Stephen King's done it all. Clive Barker's done it all. You should be reading these guys and have a grounding in, their, in what they've done before you ever start to undertake your own fiction. Um, I do the same with anthologies. I read other people's anthologies. I know, you know, if somebody's done a really good anthology about, you know, a certain subject, then I will stay away from it because there's no point in me trying to compete with what they've already done. Um, so I think you have to be aware of what goes on. I mean, I have a sign above my desk here in my office which says, where you are, you have to know where you've been. And I've always lived by that credo when I'm working. You know, you have to know what the past contains before you can look towards the future. Anybody who wants to be a writer or an editor, I would say, first of all, go out there and read as widely as you can, not just in the genre you want to work in, not just in the horror genre or the science fiction genre, but read widely. Read Jane Austen, read William Shakespeare, read Charles Dickens, um, you know, read outside the fields. When you, when you come across something in the field, you have, to, you have to relate it to the whole of literature, not just horror literature or science fiction literature. And that way you get a good grounding in what makes a good story or good novel, for that matter. Um, God knows, I wish I could. I had time to read more novels these days because I, I, I adore reading the long form. But there's just not the time that much, that much anymore to read it when I'm on vacation or something. So it's just the short stories and the novellas for me. Sure. Um, well, during this past year, there's been a, a lot of news coverage of ebooks and ebook readers, and there's still a lot of talk and speculation that Apple 
may release some type of tablet computer in 2010 that could be used as an ebook device. I'm curious if you think that, mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder if you think that electronic publication and ebooks could be a lifeline for short fiction. And do you think people will read more short stories with ebook devices versus traditional books? Personally, I'm not convinced. Uh, I've, 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 I've read about the stuff the same way you do. I, I see what, what they're planning to do and what's coming out. I have friends who have e-books. Um, it's, it's a particularly useful tool if you're working for a publishing company and you have to read a great deal of manuscripts because it saves you carrying around you know, the manuscript to a novel, which would be maybe you know, 500, 600 pages of paper. Uh, a big wad of paper which you'd have to carry in, in, your, in your shoulder bag or whatever, you can now carry around on a pallet electronically. It's brilliant for that. But I'm not convinced that it, it creates more readers. I, I love the look of a book. I love the feel of a book. I love the smell of a book. I love the way a book looks. I love the way it looks on the shelf, you know, with the title on the spine and maybe an illustration. And, and you lose all that with the electronic version. You lose all that sense of being connected to a book. Um, so I'm a lot old-fashioned. It may just be because I am old-fashioned. It may be just because of my age. I grew up reading books. But I, at the moment, I don't see electronic books replacing um, print books in any major way. I think there are some people who, who, who prefer to read electronically. I personally don't. I find it much more tiring on the eyes, for example, to read a backlit um, text. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry to say, I think you lose you lose that beauty of a book, a book that you can open and read and touch, that tactile feel of the cover of the pages as you turn them. Um, and there's something very lovely about old books, the smell of old books, the feel of old books, which, of course, we will lose if they're just electronic files. Um, and also from sales. I mean, I, you know, of my own stuff electronically now. And, you know, there, there's no way they're even approaching anywhere near what... what, uh, what what physical books are selling in bookstores. Now, that all may change in the future, I don't know. But for the time being, I, th- I think e-books will remain something of a, a rarefied pleasure just amongst a few people who just want to carry around those pallets. But um, for me personally, I, I, I hope they don't catch on um, as much as, as obviously the manufacturers do. I want <laughs> all books the way to go. I lo- I, I, I'm a book guy. That's why I do this stuff. I love books. Sure, sure. So what's up next for you? What anthologies will be out in 2010 that you've been working on? Oh, what have I got coming out? I've got, because I'm involved in running the, the World Horror Convention, in, which is coming to Brighton, England for the first time. It's the first time it's been outside North America ever in its, in its 20-year history. So I've got, a, I've got a raft of books coming out um, next year. We've got uh, the best of best new horror, because as, we, as, we, as you mentioned earlier, we, we did our 20th anniversary edition um, earlier this year. So next year we have the best of best new horror coming out, which actually has each volume of those 20 years. And again, we've got Stephen King and Clive Barker and Neil Gaiman and all these kind of guys in there. And it will be a best of the best. That's been a fun book to put together because it's a, basically a history of that series for 20 years. That's a pretty long time in publishing, tell, you know, I'll tell you. And in horror publishing, it's extremely long time. Um, but, you know, we've been very lucky. We've been running that series now for 20 years. And again, I'm doing volume 21 next year. That'll be out for Halloween next year. Um, I've just recently edited up a, a bunch of poetry books by the, the classic Weird Tales writers, which we've got coming out um, in the spring for the convention. And... Um, Another zombie book I'm working on for next year is a a book called Zombie Apocalypse, which is a shared world zombie um, novel, basically. 
writers writing sections of the book, which I'm then tying together and, and, and melding together. And that's going to be a very cool project. And again, it's one of those ideas where a publisher came to me and said, would you be interested in doing something like this? And we threw it around and we came up with ideas. And I thought, you know, I've never done a book like this before, mm-hmm. basically a mosaic novel using lots of different writers. Right. And so, you know, we've been putting this together over the year, and it's got a very cool cover, and it's coming together really, really well. And it basically the, it starts off in, in, in England, and the zombie virus spreads around the world and ends up in America. And um, I've got some very interesting writers contributing to the book, and, you know, we've got different ideas. I've had to, I had to come up with the overall arc of the story, and it's my job, as I said, to meld it all together and pull it all together. And that's a book that will be coming out the latter half of 2010. And... You know, again, I had to think carefully about, oh, God, here is another zombie book. Do we really want to do this? But it's, I think it's going to be a fun little book to do. And that's what I look for in any project I do. I want to make sure it's fun for everybody working on it. I want it to be, certainly, you know, I want to sell well. I want to also make a bit of money off of it at the end of the day. But if it's not fun, I don't really see any reason to do it. And I'm always trying to push the, the, the envelope of not only the genre, but also what I do, the kind of stuff that I enjoy doing and what my writers enjoy doing. And I think in this one, they have enjoyed doing some of the stories. We've had some fun with it. And I think, I hope the, the readers, when they see it, will have some fun with it as well. Great. So lots of good stuff coming up next year. Tons of stuff. I'm, tons of stuff. I'm, all, I'm, always, I'm always working. <laughs> um, it never stops, unfortunately. Well, great. I stop for Christmas Day. It's the only day I have off. <laughs> well, again, we've been speaking with Stephen Jones, noted horror anthologist and editor. His latest anthology of zombie fiction, The Dead That Walk, is available in bookstores now. If you're a horror fan or love zombies, don't miss this book. Stephen, thanks for taking the time to speak with the Reading and Writing Podcast. Jeff, thank you very much for asking me. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. This is David Morrell, and when I'm not working on my latest thriller, I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest interview. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast in iTunes. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store, and it takes a minute or two to leave a quick review of the podcast. And that way, more people can find the podcast, because the more reviews and ratings a podcast has in the iTunes store, the more they feature it and the more prominently they feature it. So hope you enjoyed the interview. Until next time, read some good books and support your local independent bookstore. And I'll be back soon with another interview with the writer that you enjoy reading. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.